I I feel like I'm a, a janitor at an old folks home, just like sweeping up people's fucking lost memories. This is going to be the worst segment to listen to. Hi, Mike. Hi, Kelly. I've been listening to some interviews with uh, various people talking about recording and stuff like that. Yeah, I decided uh, midway through life to start trying to get an education. I don't know why it never occurred to me before, but I've just been, uh, instead of watching cartoons or listening to the radio or lamenting Trump's presidency or something, I, I put in my earbuds when I drive to and from the studio and I, and I just say like, I'll have Siri Google like a YouTube video on someone and it'll start playing, you know, like whatever, a mastering engineer or a mix engineer or something. And I don't even look to see what they're going to talk about. I just start listening, you know, and they're doing interviews. Maybe they're talking about a classic album or their theory on uh, the loudness wars or signal to noise ratio or a certain type of analog to digital converter or whatever it is. It's just yeah, nice to, I, I just, you know, you get busy working or living and, and I don't take the time to stay abreast of other things in the world of recording or record making or whatever. I just, I guess I, uh, I hadn't paid that much attention to what the rest of the world was doing. So I decided to stop and take notice. So yeah, I have been listening well, to a lot of stuff lately. Yeah, and you were actually down in Dayton today. You were actually, is it up or down? Well, I think it's up. Okay, so you were up in Dayton today, and um, we practiced and stuff like that. And then so on your ride home, down, back down home, uh, you were talking about all these great, um, interviews that you were listening to. What was that one that you were listening to? Where it talked about like unlimited choice and perfectionism in the digital realm. Uh, I can't remember that guy's name. That which is a shame, but uh, I hadn't heard of him. But he was talking about he's an engineer, and some of it, and a lot of his projects have been mixed by acclaimed mix engineers. And he was talking about he's friends with a guy named Chris Lord Alsh, who's a you know renowned album mixer and, and that guy was saying one of the things he's really noticed since the kind of advent of the digital recording era and then especially the in the move from 8 to 16 to 24 to now virtually unlimited tracks is that projects are coming in where they lack the focus and the commitment that he was used to receiving to where the bulk of decision making that formerly an artist or engineer or in conjunction with a producer or somebody would have made as a final mix was completed or as right. the record was recorded and delivered to the mix engineer. It's like, hey, here's what we tracked. Here's a rough mix. This is the body of the song. Now you sprinkle dust on it, magic powder, and make it sound good. But now right. he's getting projects with multiple takes and you oh my know, God. a DI of every <laughs> instrument so he can reamp it all if he has to and just unlimited options. And he actually says it's it's sort of stifling and it's counterproductive because it slows down the creative process. So instead of balancing a song and getting a good mix of somebody else's art or idea, he's actually tasked now with finishing their thought. Oh, wow. And I was telling... That's really interesting topic, and I was, I was comparing it to like I know this is to uh, making scarves. Like if I had every option in the world, 
any just by being like Samantha on Bewitched, I could magically make any color, stripe, uh, type of wool, anything. If I could make it appear uh, magically into my hands, I would be, I would be, uh, I'd be stopped by choice, stifled by choice. There's just too many options, in that I, I really need to go up to my, up into my scarf room, my sweater room, and I need to see what is the inventory here. I've got to make something interesting with what I've got right here. These are my limitations, and that informs my limitations are so important to informing my process. And you know, this is this is not the first time that this you know limitations informing a process has been discussed in any kind of art, all kinds of art. It's certainly not the first time, but it's just so interesting whenever you find new applications of that idea into something like here's music here's another example of how because I could see easily I could see how wait a minute oh that you know that hi-hat right there I got we've got to fix that you know on that second measure there it comes in on that second beat it's making me crazy let's get in there and fix that I mean it, it's got to stop at some point yeah the funds of record making are based on budget and time and a release schedule or whatever but now that uh, so many people have access to these powerful computers and editing tools it's really like what when do you when do you put an end to it when, when do you say okay now we're finished and one point that this guy whose name I can't remember mentioned was that as a primarily digital recordist himself he has to like make a, a mental note to stop himself from striving for perfection in every squiggle and like, Hey, maybe I shouldn't do 10 full takes of guitar and then comp together the perfect take from that. And then time align everything. Maybe I should just like do a pass of guitar, step back and listen, and then maybe punch you in a spot and then move on. He's like the next thing, you know, I've spent seven hours and I still don't have a finished guitar track. I've got 10 passes of guitar, but I still then have to spend a full day sorting through them. And ultimately right. making a decision. And he's like, I'm so, he's a, a musician as well. He's like, I'm so far out of my own zone at that point. I'm playing garbage and it's right. just sterile and robotic. So right. he's like, at what point does the, do the, uh, the technical tools actually start to stifle creativity? Like really, I know what we're, I know we're supposed to be talking about our song and I get, I will get there at some point, yeah, but I feel like no recording really should kind of stay out of the way just like you know you only notice a cameraman when a football player runs into him or something other than that you know you shouldn't see them they should kind of right. be out of the way and not get in the way of the action or the movement or a band shouldn't be uh, fussing to death over technical options you right. should just kind of take snapshots of what's going on out there and stay out of the way of the creation of the song so right. I could see how an unlimited amount of tools and flexibility and options and actually being able to undo every decision you've made and non-destructively record. So yes, you might commit to a sound, but did you really commit? Because there's a take folder a couple layers back you could pull it back out of or, you know what I mean? You've right. never Absolutely. actually lost an option. No. You've just forced yourself to move on. But if I'm working on tape, if I, if my finger slips, that is gone. Or I just chopped off your <laughs> kick drum, or your right. it's gone. Right, and it's either a big whoops, and I'm doing it again for. I mean, I, you know, I do have a really well. 
now now it's a funny story, but at the time it was a, a moment of tragedy where I accidentally erased a bunch of tracks of a band I was working with years and years ago. We oh my can laugh God. now. <laughs> Jesus. That's at the terrible. time they were really upset and I was oh upset. Oh my God. But this was in the days when 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 you put something down to tape it it mattered. Mm-hmm. And it and it was uh it existed in physical form on that on that media. And mm-hmm. if you dropped it or scratched it or broke it or in my case erased over it, that was a big whoops. Oh, you heard that story about the breeders uh session in Sausalito at the record plant when we were mixing Last Splash. Did you hear about that? I don't think so. We were uh, we were mixing at Coast Recorders in San Francisco. And this is in 93. And we had take we took our tapes, you know, 24 inch uh, 2 inch tape uh, over across the bridge or across the bay to Sausalito and we were working mixing because back then this you know everything about recording was it was expensive and it was um highly technical you know there was a lot of lot of equipment and precision and and qualified people you know doing this so it, we went to the record plant in Sausalito, and I wasn't there at the time. Actually, I don't know who was. Uh, I don't know. I think the uh, the assistant, the re- the mixing assistant, was putting the tape up, getting it ready for the work that was going to be done that day. And instead of, I, I don't know, word is that instead of like hitting backwards or something, he hit record. I, I don't. You know, instead of trying, you know, getting it ready at the beginning, he hit like record and he erased the first, I don't know, first bit of the intro of the song, Do You Love Me Now? It was terrible. Can you imagine? Uh, yeah. But yeah, here's what happened. Think, you know, he was probably trying to put test tones on the tape or something. That's or... Part, yes, that's exactly what that it was. Yes. So that's so exactly. they could so once it left his machine, the next machine it was going to be on could could be aligned could to his machine. To yeah, and uh, so I think uh, uh, we got the call that that had happened. Oddly enough, <laughs> uh, the record plant. Whoops. Well, luckily enough, the record plant was one of the uh, one of the first places back then, or not first places. I don't know. It just so happened they had an an OG version, like one of the brand new thing. It probably took up a whole room. I don't know uh, of Pro Tools, and so they were able to. Jeez, uh, I'm trying to think how they were able to get. Anyway, they fixed they they got it back to as good as we could. Anyway. That just reminded me of that story. Well, that came full circle. We started talking about the uh, the way that computer technology can stifle you, and you've just come in with a that's true a, sing, a singing I, endorsement of <laughs> a save for how magnificent the robot overlords save the day again. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, that's true. You know, when we first started working together, Mike, I one of the things, uh, and I think I've talked about this before on the podcast, is I was not interested in going to the studio. I didn't want to go in. I didn't want to seek perfection. 
It was not anything I was interested in doing. I didn't want to spend hours in a studio getting just, I just didn't want to do it. I wanted the immediacy of playing something live in a room with another person, with another human and having that interaction. That's what I was interested in. And, um, and that's how we started. And it was, and then we started uh, kind of, I, I guess I started feeling, you know what it is? I, I started, it was only then that I felt like, hey, here's a song. I understand what I want from it. And I would love to take a snapshot of this, you know, I considered it instead of the end all be all, which is actually one good thing about computers now. Instead, in my mind, I, I could say, this is not the end-all, be-all recording. This is the recording that works for me today. This is where we are today. I was able to kind of get my head around that. I really enjoyed uh, going back into the studio. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so let's talk about Salt, because that's, what, that's the song that we're at. We're on side B of the album, first track, side B. Uh, that's right, yeah. I'm going to hijack this conversation a little bit, if you don't mind. Sure. We're gonna, I'm going to reroute it here. Okay, so um, this is a song that I was working on in uh, before I even... No, I had already met you, I think, but we hadn't kind of worked together or anything. And um, it's a song called Salt, and I did a, um, a demo at my kitchen table on my Tascam, DPS-8, um, and I'm going to go ahead and play that demo now. Just, I find it interesting to find out where the song was and like where it, where it went after we got together and started playing it live. So here's that song, the demo. Ah, he Silent away from 
Okay, so so yeah, that's the demo. And we ended up, um, you know, as we started playing together and stuff, that was a song that we also kind of thought, well, how, how about adding that to the, let's play that one live. Let's try it live. I think we started playing it like with more distorted, more distorted guitars and faster and more aggressive. Do you do you think yeah. that's true? Yeah, it was. It just was really rowdy, and you just hollered a lot. It was just a fun moment in the set to just get rowdy, like inappropriately distorted and you know loud and screaming it. <laughs> that's an example of like the difference between the demo version. And like the live version that we used to play, it's worlds apart. And it was so fun to play that live. So that that was really when when I thought about recording it, when we talked about recording it, it was definitely for me, and I think for you too, we never it never occurred to me to kind of go back to the old way. It was always like, let's try to capture how fun that is live. I think we did that. Yeah. So we did it. That one did end up getting sort of structured. I think it, that song lent itself to sort of a conventional rock band arrangement with a drum kit. And I think uh, you played bass on it, right? You played the drums and I played the bass. Yeah. Yeah. But it started out with you on drums and me on bass. Yeah. That's something a lot of people don't know is that you're a drummer as well. Yes, I did start out as a drummer. That's correct. Yeah. What's this song about, Kelly? It It's a true story about how a relationship that I was in ended. And it was so odd how it ended that somebody commented, they came through my house, they walked through my house because I was, I was living there and they said, wow, they looked around and they said, man, this looks like it was an event, not a process. It felt like this life was just dropped. It is about someone leaving uh, everything but a life, and so and so. What was the what were the notable remnants of that life? What salt? A packet of salt that's exactly. left behind in every drawer, on every move, on every cabinet. Exactly. Bands come to it's record and they leave, and I go in the kitchen. I find they've left packets of salt. Right. Exactly. And that's uh, it, it, exactly what it's about. And I do like you know that idea uh, during the chorus. It does feel like. Because it is more of a a, a a celebratory thing, you know, talking about free, free, free kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. But that it could be taken with a grain of salt.
So for anyone listening, the events that we're about to speak of may or may not have happened. We may or may not remember them correctly, but we've had a brief talk off <laughs> mic where we've decided that it's okay. This, this is, is the, the truth. This is the history the of the band as we can recall. And the, and the history of, the song. of And it really doesn't matter. Really. No. No. But anyway, so no. yeah, we want to talk about this song Salt and how it got to be released into the world initially. And yes. we were on a tour out west. To tell you the truth, I can't remember who was in the van with us, if it was just Kelly and I or if we had Christian or somebody else with us. I don't recall mm-hmm. and I'm sorry. But we were mm-hmm. in what I'm going to call Omaha, Nebraska. That is a real place. Yes. <laughs> and we, uh, a woman came to our show named Laura, and she was in a band called Minor Birds. Mm-hmm. And she was staying at a house with the guy that owns that label, Saddle Creek. They were dating, I think. He was out of town, so they had some extra space. So she invited us to stay at their house after the show. And she had this really big dog. Oh, and it was such a pretty house. Yeah, it was a really nice house. And um, we woke up the next morning. We were kind of getting our stuff together, getting ready to leave town. And she said, wait, before you leave, my friend's a chef. She lives right around the corner, and she's made brunch for us. Yeah, so we walk into this to another nice house, and here's this woman, Issa Chandra Moskowitz, and she has an assistant with her. And I thought it was interesting yeah. that Issa, as we're learning this, this information is, unfolding right in front of us she's a vegan chef and has uh and also a vegan cookbook author she's an author of cookbooks and etc and the assistant that she has helping her this morning to prepare this meal has just opened like um a boutique meat store where they stuff their own sausages and all that's that stuff. right. And I thought that was great that the that the meat packer guy was helping the vegan make this amazing vegan brunch. And she had a nice cat or two nice cats or something. And that to uh, uh, I he was she w- he was there because they were working they were testing recipes that's for right, the next for a, book. For the next book, yeah. And like she's like some and I'm finally realize as I see old books of hers kind of laying you know, papers everywhere, recipe, you know, bowls and blenders and everything, you know, uh, all this accoutrement of, you know, te- uh, testing recipes that was in her kitchen. I, I kind of thought, slowly dawned on me, oh, I, I think she's actually like a big deal. And then uh, I found out later she's like a New York Times bestseller, best-selling vegan, sh- uh, vegan cook and cookbook author. Um, but yeah, so we, the, the brunch... Yeah, so you was, thought you were going to be discreetly uh, pulling cat hair out of your jello mold, and it turns out that you had just walked into this uh, this amazing setting with some of the best food ever. Oh, wait, can you go back to the pulling cat hair out of the jello mold? You want to explain that to me? Well, like, you know, if you go into a essentially a stranger's house, uh-huh. you know, you can have the yeah, best no, expectations, but... Somewhere in the back of your mind, you're preparing for the worst. Everyone's had that experience, whether it's a, a cat lady aunt or something, and you're like nodding politely that you know what I mean. That's what I was going yeah. for with oh, that. Oh yeah, no, it's hilarious. Analogy where you're like, this is very good. Okay, let's let's go. And are you are you are you you personally are you kind of going through your facial repertoire uh, as 
to determine what facial expression you can best deliver if you end up like pulling a hair. No, out I have of a, a jello beard, mold. so you can can't tell if I'm happy or sad or. <laughs> Someone called me on that. It was real funny. Like I had shaved my whole beard one time. They're like, "Oh, I thought you were real, real nice this whole last year." It turns out, <laughs> I just You're couldn't just a see smart your face. Ass. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's how we met Isa, and. Uh, I remember she kind of jokingly said that day, like, hey, I'm, I might do like a, a cooking show someday and I'm totally going to ask you guys to uh, do a song for it. And we said, yeah, yeah, great. We would love to, all that stuff. But like, again, like we've said on almost every other song, these people that you meet, you don't really know yeah. if you're going to end up staying in touch or not. And again, Issa was a person that – you know, she's driven and, and interested and stands by her word and does what she says. And we stayed in touch and we continued to work together on stuff. So we sent her that to use. And I think her cooking show, it's called Make It Vegan. And I think you can still see those episodes. Um, Isa, Make It Vegan. And uh, you can hear our song on there. Yeah, we wanted to sort of collaborate on this and... Uh, she did a uh, nod to Cincinnati and made like a vegan Cincinnati chili recipe. Yeah. You know. Yeah, like, hey, what is your region? She she had heard, I guess, that our that our region was known for its its Cincinnati style chili. So she created a vegan recipe to make like vegan Cincinnati chili, and then she put that in the booklet with our with our CD. I think we made fifty of them or something. And yeah. I started having second thoughts about the chorus vocals. And let me tell you why. Because on the, um, I'm going to call it the original recording that we did at Candyland, um, or like on that demo that I did while sitting at the table, that that kind of vocal thing that I do where I go into false and kind of have this lovely lilt and you can hear it and it's effortless. It's got this great feeling to it. I cannot do that live with any justice while we, when we play that song live, you know, the guitars are too loud. I can't hear my vocal. We don't have a sound guy. There's no monitor. You know, I can't have monitors in my, my front wedge because it'll just make my acoustic guitar go crazy. And it's, I'm not going to chase that. I don't want to chase that all night. So I just say nothing in there, please. So I, I, I have trouble with that, with that delivery of that vocal. So that's why I, I was like, come on, coach, put me back in. I'm like, Mike, you got to put me back in to re-sing. I'm going to, I'm going to change up those chorus vocals for salt. And so we went back into Candyland and uh, using the same, the same song, you know, the same recording and stuff, but I went in and I was able to make a, a more aggressive, more, kind of yelly, fun, so that I can join the party too when we play it live instead of t kind of trying to focus on where's my note, where's, you know. So uh, so it's a, it's a much funner song live to sing for me like that. And we still sing it like, I still sing it like that, even though on the album we went back to the old version, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think it's. I like the album version is a bit more melodic and musical, and uh, I don't know. I just I've, I'll, I've I prefer that version. 
anyways, yeah. like you said before, it's not forever. We could do all this shit again a year from now. Yeah. Yeah. We could redo True. it. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I'm going to play the song Salt right now. Up next is Fallout and Fire. So I will talk to you later, Mike. You have a great night, okay? You too. See you. Okay. Bye. Bye.